So this this will be familiar to you. I'm, just, I'm, I'm 
cutting a few things because I want to make sure we get to our conversation. Um, but I would love to just share with you a little bit of my journey through um, just the, the story of, of how God made me a worship leader um, uh, using the gift of music and the artistic expression of music uh, to bring his people together. Um, but first, let me just tell you a little bit about myself and show you the most important part of me is my family. Uh, and so this is my amazing family. Um, just to my left here is my son, Nolan, who's actually sitting here running the, the slides for me. Thank you, Nolan. Uh, he's 15, and then the guy in the white hat, the other guy in the white hat, is my oldest. He's 18. His name's Carson. Then my daughter, Ethne, she is 16. And then my wife, who is not my daughter, a lot of people think, hey, do you have five kids? No. Um, I, I actually take it as a compliment when they think my wife is my daughter, but she gets offended. I don't know why. And then my son, Eli, is 15. So we have four teenagers in our house. So we should take a moment of silence for that. Um, anyway, yeah, we live in Huntington Beach. My wife and I have been married for 20 years. But uh, 23 years ago, I met my wife at a Christian music competition in Estes Park, Colorado. And we, um, we're waiting. we both of us have uh, last names that were at the end of the alphabet, so we were at the end of the line waiting for our audition. And, um, and so we got to know each other for two hours as we waited in line to do our uh, competition, to do our audition, and, um, and we just hit it off. And um, I ended up winning the competition, which was a surprise to everybody, and myself, and my family, and our whole community back home in Phoenix where I grew up. And within about three months, I had signed a record deal with Warner Brothers and moved to Nashville, Tennessee to, um, to become a recording artist, which was completely opposite of what I uh, imagined uh, would be the, the path that God would have me on, because I thought I was going to be going to school to study meteorology to be a storm chaser. Yeah, God had different plans. He moved me to Nashville. And I uh, signed this record deal and um, was part of a duo boy band, Christian pop rock uh, boy band called Across the Sky. Ow! Yeah, that's me with beautiful blonde hair. And now you know why I wear a hat, because you'll find out where all that hair went in a little bit. It was church ministry, by the way. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I, uh, our target audience, like I sh shared last night, was 13-year-old girls and their moms, which is what the label told me right off the bat. Hey, um, there, there's money with 13-year-old girls and their moms, so you're going to be attracting them with Christian music, which was really backwards to me because I had grown up on Christian music and writing songs from Scripture. I would take God's Word and write songs from it. And so, okay, you can get rid of that picture. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny memory. But I would, I would write these songs. So when I went to Nashville and they were trying to make this business out of me, um, it was just really backwards. And so we toured through North and South America, um, making tens of dollars uh, as a touring <laughs> artist. Um, the starving artist uh, persona is actually a real thing out there, but we were part of this major label, experienced a lot of crazy things on the road, in, especially in Brazil, when we toured all through Brazil and, and some parts of North America with different artists on the tour bus. 
And I found that this lifestyle was not for me. Even though I loved writing music, I loved expressing my artistic gift from God through writing songs and sharing them with the world, um, I felt the Lord leading me out of that world. And so within a matter of five years, the Lord led me out of uh, Nashville. We had watched artists, recording artists become addicts. We had watched marriages fall apart, literally on the tour bus, infidelity, all kinds of things in the Christian industry that just really rocked me. And it actually created some fear in me to go, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have to, you know, go through some of those temptations. And so we felt the Lord leading us out of that. Well, he placed us uh, in northern Arizona um, to be uh, on staff at a church, church. But before I take you down that road, I want to share a song with you. Um, that came out of me reflecting on um, what I went through in Nashville. And so, um, and also just my life in general um, of being in ministry and having a lot of uh, struggle and challenge, figure, trying to figure out answers to questions that uh, are a mystery at times. And so this is a song called What If? And uh, it's written from Isaiah 43 verse 19 and it's just a great reminder that sometimes our faith in the unknown faith in god and the unknown mystery of what he has planned for us uh, may lead us into hard times and suffering may be a part of our faith but it doesn't uh, mean that his promises still aren't true and so i thought i'd share this with you and it'll tell more of the story um, and you can draw some conclusions and maybe even apply it to your own life but this is called what if what if fate means I'm swimming up the river of pain Waiting for the current to change, but it doesn't change. What if grace leaves me stranded in the desert of doubt? And sorrow is the only way out, my only way out. If it's true, you'll never leave me to draw to your love. Remind me that your mercy Letting go of 
world feeling like this is going to be the rest of my life. I'm going to be a, an artist, a recording artist. I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to uh, share this gift of songwriting and um, the gift of musical artistry with the world. And it was just a great expression of my heart. But feeling the Lord leading me out of that created even more what-ifs in my life. Especially as I uh, made my way into the local church. Uh, I found myself at a place where I needed a, a fresh start with music and, um, and found myself as a worship pastor on staff at a church of about 800 people in northern Arizona. Within two years, the church had grown to 3,200 people in this small town. So as you can imagine, the challenges of, of a growing church um, on the worship pastor who's called to engage people in singing and to bring the creative aspect of the service flow to this giant church um, was quite the undertaking. And even with um, the temptations that I left in Nashville with all the self-promotion and everything being, look at me, look at me as an artist, um, I started finding that there were a whole new set of temptations even in ministry. Um, within um, a matter of time, I had fallen deeply in love with the local church and the supernatural power of singing together. The wonder of what happens when God's people start to sing together, it took the attention off of me, and I was loving that, especially being in the performance world and not wanting that anymore. Um, but being able to be in the church and learning and falling in love with what it meant to shepherd people in worship and to gather them and, and then to allow them to encourage one another with singing. And, and so I had just taken that role very seriously. And it is an authoritative role because I was put in charge of setting the tone for the Sunday gathering. And we were doing five services, two on Saturday and three on Sunday. So I had 75 volunteers and and musicians that I was training and developing. And so I just had, I just was loving my job and my opportunity to serve the church. But with any job, um, we can sometimes take ourselves too seriously. And that's what happened with me. I found um, that I got into a, a lot of trouble um, and nobody knew how much trouble I was in because I had this problem in my life of 
not knowing how to say no. And so I kept taking on more and more and more responsibilities in the church. And I had watched um, this church grow and felt like, well, since we're growing, we need to do this and do this. And if I don't do it, who will? Well, I guess I should just do it. And so at one time in ministry thereafter, it was probably in my third year, I was over all of the worship and five services with 75 volunteers. I was running all of the creative elements in the church with the artistic stuff, the campus aesthetics, the, the big events with Christmas and Easter and attracting at times 20,000 people onto our campus at Christmas and Easter time. I was in charge of orchestrating all of that, kind of like the Walt Disney. I was also in charge of all the graphics design and the website and our entire internship program with worship leaders and artists that would come into the church. Um, and if you think that maybe that was maybe enough, uh, my wife and I were in charge of the crisis marriage ministries where we actually came alongside all of the broken marriages in the church, or at least a lot of them that we knew about and helped bring restoration through that, through discipleship and, and, um, and reconciliation. And so, um, to say that I had a full plate is an understatement church and so I had overwhelmed myself well what I didn't know is that my body needed rest because I called myself the zealous zombie because I was a zombie by the time I got home from work every day but then in the morning I was just motivated and zealous and ready to go do it all again um, and so um, at the time you know my wife and I had four young kids in diapers. And so we um, we started realizing that I, I may have to start getting some help with some of the physical issues I was having. And so um, uh, I think it was at my three and a half year at this church, I started losing all of my eyesight in my, my right eye. And we thought it was allergies or something from being up in the mountains there in Arizona. And we went to all these doctors. Eventually I went to Phoenix after about six months. I had to go get these thick glasses for my right eye. And then it was almost like clear on my left eye. There was nothing but this really thick prescription on my right eye. And um, went to this doctor in Phoenix. And this guy looked inside my um, retina or whatever. And he says, hey, are you stressed? And I was like, no. Um, and he goes, what do you do for a living? And this guy wasn't a believer, but I said, oh, I'm a worship pastor. And, and he goes, is worship pastoring stressful? And I was like, no, I love my job. It's, it's, it's great. I'm feeling awesome. Um, and then, um, and then he looked over at my wife and said, is he stressed? And then my wife started crying. And that was where like the room just I mean, it was like all the air got taken out of the room. And he looked at me like a, a father looks at his son to discipline him and says, listen to me right now. He says, you have shingles on your optic nerve and it is destroying the nerves. And I found it in your other eye. He says, if you do not make some changes in your life, you're gonna go completely blind within six to 12 months. And I just kind of went in shock. I was in disbelief, but he said, he said, the problem is, is we have nothing to give you. I can't give you eye drops. Nothing can fix this. You have to actually change the way you live because you are under so much stress, but you're in denial. 
And so this guy's calling me out, and my wife's just crying in excitement, really, it was. She's like, finally, someone's telling him what I've been trying to tell him for years. And my wife at the time had already had all this resentment towards the church from those first few years of them oh, just piling more and more onto my plate and not giving me rest and, and honoring me at a point where I could actually take a break, but they just kept adding more to it. And so she was actually excited that somebody, somebody was finally telling me the truth. And so I went home from that feeling really broken and actually humiliated, like, why didn't I see this coming? And so in the midst of that, um, there was another piece that I left out yesterday. Within about a, a few months, um, uh, this was actually before our fourth child, we had found out that we had we had gotten pregnant and then that we had miscarried, that my wife had miscarried the baby. And that all came to a head at the same time. And I didn't know how to respond to that. I didn't know how to work through that process, through that in my own life and how to, how to be a support for my wife. So it was almost like the Lord stopped me in my tracks and said, get a clue, dude. And um, with that, as a songwriter, there's always a song that comes out of hardship. There's songs that come out of joy and celebration, but there's also songs that come out of hardship and struggle. Lots of writers and artists paint or design or do things because of struggles, but then always there's this glimmer of hope if you're a believer, knowing that God has ordained this or has allowed this to, to um, sanctify us. But I want to read this passage that I've known ever since I was a kid that at that time was the most comforting message I had ever received. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so that passage came alive to me, even though I've known it forever. But as you know, the word of God is living. And so the Lord showed me right there that when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I think it might, I was, at the time I thought maybe it says, he suggests that I lie down in green pastures. Doesn't say that. Or he invites me to lie down. It says he makes me lie down in green pastures. And as a father, I know what that's like because there were times when I knew my kid needed a nap. And I had to make my kids take naps at times because the whole house was going to burn down if I don't. But with me, with my life, the Lord had to make me lie down. And we live in America where the American dream is go, 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 create, uh, develop, you know, chase your dreams and don't stop or don't take a break. And what's cool about our shepherd, it shows you how loving he is because he knows how desperately we need his rest. And as artists, we need, to, we need to not ignore that truth because our best art comes out of a rested spirit, a rested body, rested emotions even. 
And so he had to make me lie down. And it was at that place where he led me beside quiet waters. And it was at that place where he restored my weary soul and then led me into the path of righteousness, not for my credit or my glory, but for his name's sake. And so this is a song called My Shepherd. It came out of that season and it ministers to me every time I sing it because obviously all of these songs, original songs, aren't mine. They're, they're God's. They're what he put in me to share with others and really even to preach to myself as a reminder every day of where I've been and where he wants me to go as a loving shepherd. This is called My Shepherd. And then I'm going to lead into a song called Hold Me that doesn't really need any setup. You'll see it in the words on the screen how it tells more of the story. This is my shepherd.
brokenness to glory, from hopelessness to victory, from blindness you have shown me. As a worship leader, and a lot of us can relate to, um, I would say maybe 80% of worship leaders struggle with living a double life. Because they stand on stage and they sing beautiful songs with a smile, and you would assume they believe all the words they're singing, but there are times when it's hard to believe and mean it, but we have to fake it. And what's so hard is the congregation they, doesn't, they don't really know or even understand or can even relate, but they just expect that as pastors and ministers, the gospel on stage, they just expect we have it all together, which forces ministry leaders and those on the front lines to live a double life, not even on purpose. Because the Sunday Justin is smiling and joyful and and, and leading everyone in unified worship, but the Monday Justin is exhausted and his wife stopped going to church, you know? She was so resentful of the pastor because he wouldn't help, he wouldn't make me stop or even tell me, hey, are you doing okay? How's your marriage? How's your, how's your relationship with the Lord? How's your physical state? Are you rested? No one was asking me those questions. And so that's why I started this ministry, Likewise Worship. Years ago, we, we started this ministry as a nonprofit to provide for worship leaders what we wish we would have had. I wish somebody would have, would have prepared me or at least given me a heads up on some of the challenge that, challenges that are happening on the front lines of ministry. Our desire is um, to serve and preserve worship leaders by providing community care and competency. Whether you're a worship leader here or not, you know a worship leader that might be able to uh, be encouraged by our ministry. So we'd love for you to share our website with them. But this also can relate to you because as an artist or a creative in any way, we have to have healthy balance in our life. And when I got into ministry, 
or even using my artistic gift. I thought I was on a six-lane highway with pretty strong guardrails, and I'm going like this, driving and having fun and freedom. But what I didn't realize is I needed a one-laner or a two-laner for a season. I needed to know how to create balance to get to where I'm going without without having too broad of a, of a highway. And, and so God made it really clear how much I needed his rest, and he used his word to do it. And so for me, my, my encouragement to you with just hearing my story is the thing that changed everything for me wasn't just what that doctor said or going through the miscarriage, but it was an accountability partner I had in my life who when I finally opened up with him and said, hey, this is going on. I'm burning out. My wife wants me to go to work at Starbucks because you know, it's a nine to five. I can come home and not even think about ministry or, or, or worship or church or music. I can just be focused. And what he told me, he says, Justin, you know what your problem is? He said, you think you're more important than you really are. And I was like, thank you. Um, but then he continued and he said, you need to remember that God's kingdom will continue on just fine without you. And it opened my eyes to a, a reality that, that made me feel a lot smaller um, in a really good way than, than what I was feeling. Because with our art, uh, we, it becomes part of our identity at times. It becomes, even with the self-promotion and with, uh, with what we're creating, we want people to see what we've made. And so it becomes so much about us, but that can puff us up to a point where maybe I don't need God. I'm doing just fine. But as a believer and having strong roots in the gospel, even as a kid, all of those truths started flooding into my heart to where I had to make some dramatic changes in my life. And so I want to segue that into talking a little bit about um, health for, for worship leaders, health for, for musicians, health for artists that are serving in the church or even outside of the church and how we've summed it up. And this applies mostly, or a lot of this applies to a worship leader, but actually I think it can apply to any kind of artist. And it takes three things to make a healthy artist, worship leader, creative. Uh, being rested, trusted and discipled. It's so important to have all three of them. If you have all three, it's going to be encompassing great health. But sometimes the check engine light comes on where we might be deficient in one of those. And so let me just take you through what it means to be rested first. A rested artist or worship leader um, is present and available to their families, is able to say no which was my greatest struggle. I couldn't say no. I just wanted to keep serving and helping people. But God had to teach me what it meant and how great it feels to say no and being more intentional about what I say yes to in ministry. And this applies to anyone in life in general. But a rested artist is also a non-anxious person or non-anxious presence because our anxiety can just lead out onto other people. A rested artist is not consumed by ministry or by our art. Um, a rested um, artist is not a victim um, and is not sacrificing their families, which is most important, which we gotta remember. Some of you who aren't married yet, uh, or some of you that are, you know that your first responsibility next to being um, faithful to your calling 
in serving Jesus and, and staying in his word, but your number two is your family and your own physical health. Is so much, if we aren't fit, uh, healthy physically and healthy in our homes and our marriages and our relationships with our kids, it's gonna bleed out on everything else that we're doing. And so that's why we can't sacrifice that home health for ministry health or our jobs or our calling. What about a trusted artist? Is empowered, a trusted artist is empowered to lead and be creative, is backed by your leadership in the church, if you're in, in the church, and is given the chance to share it with others. But a trusted artist is not micromanaged or stifled creatively and is not frustrated by the process. Um, and then a discipled artist is known by others, known that you um, are striving and reaching for righteousness. Um, Psalm 1 is alive in your life. Um, you're not walking in the counsel of the wicked, nor sitting in the seat of scoffers, nor standing in the path of sinners, but your delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law you meditate day and night. And you will be, if you do that, like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. A discipled um, leader and artist is teachable and accountable and is equipped theologically and relationally, is able to walk in honesty and integrity. But a, a discipled artist is not hiding in the dark, is not apathetic toward God and ministry, and a discipled leader is not alone. Doesn't isolate him or herself away from others, but is engaged in community. It's what we're called to be. So when I when I when we combine those three things, it could com it could complete a little um, force of health. But if you're lacking in one, if the check engine light goes on, which happened to me, the check engine light was on. My wife saw it. You know, she's always my helper in the car. But um, but she sees the check engine light, and I just oh no, it's okay, it'll be fine. Oh, the gas gauge is running out. Oh, it'll be fine. We'll make it another thirty miles. Well, that was me. I was just zealous to keep going, and I was ignoring the realities of what was really going on. And so um, that's why I called myself the zealous zombie, was because I um, had the experience, I had the pastoral depth, I had been discipled, I had the musical talent, lots of freedom and trust, but I was exhausted and stressed and was saying yes to everyone and every opportunity that came across my plate. My intentions were pure, but I lacked biblical rest, and I forgot that God's kingdom would continue on fine without me. But then let me tell you about the music monkey, um, or the pastor's puppet. In ministry, you can maybe relate this to your own life if you're not on staff at a church or in ministry, but this leader is rested, discipled, but not trusted. This leader is required to fit in a certain mold this is what we want from you. You do it this way. This is how it needs to be. No ifs, ands, or buts. Um, the, the leadership determines what, what, what they want you to do, and you just have to fit in. As a result, this leader is creatively constrained, limiting their ability to lead in the way that God's leading them. They have the spiritual depth, the passion, and the heart, but they lack the trust and leadership. This can result in frustration and ultimately apathy in ministry. And then finally, um, this one I call the, the clueless counterfeit, which is the worship rock star. 
And so when I'm talking to worship leaders, I explain it this way, because we have a lot of these in the church. They were hired because of their talent. Because they're so good at it, we're not going to worry about the character or the whether or not they're discipled. We'll get to that later. But because the church, a lot of churches are desperate for these artistic leaders to be up there to attract people to come in with the rock show, they bring in someone who within two to three years burns out. This leader has the talent and the charisma to lead effectively from the stage, but deep inside, they might may not really know who they are or if they even believe the words that they're singing, but they can perform a prayer like no one else. They could put on a show and they can do it really well at the highest level. But as you can see, even in artistry, if we have great excellence and quality, but we don't have the character and disciple background to back it up, then it's gonna fall short and eventually burn you out because what you're striving for is gonna kill you because you're wanting to get to the next height wanting to raise the bar. Uh, this leader is known to anyone, or isn't known to anyone, and is, is clueless of the realities. Anyone causing a lack of accountability and there's theological depth is limited um, to basic concepts. And so my heart is to help identify this in, in artists and creatives and worship leaders, but first I had to do it in myself. That's why this isn't a wag the finger at people saying, hey, get it figured out. And obviously there's a lot more that goes into this because what if someone's deficient in two of these uh, and, and maybe okay in one of the other, that we could talk all day about it, but I don't, wanna, uh, I don't wanna bore you with all of those details. I just thought it'd be good for you guys to have a good perspective on understanding the reason why we need to be healthy in all three, especially as creatives, because it's then gonna flow out in all of what we're creating as co-creators in some sense with God. God is the creative one. We, I, we had this little uh, quote that my team and I put together um, about our creative creator. Because God is the source of all things, there is no limit to his power and creativity. Because we are made in his image, we too have the ability to create. While limited in nature, our human creativity brings glory to God because it reflects and represents a tiny glimpse of what God is like to the world. And that's when Jesus prayed for us in John 17. He prayed that they may all be one, as Christ and the Father are one. That they, the people of God, he prayed for the church, he prayed for his disciples, that they may be one, as Christ and the Father are one, so that the world will believe. So it's our oneness in the church and art and worship and music is what helps create that oneness. It's our oneness that shows the world that Jesus is real. When people look at our unity, they go, what is going on over there? What do they have? What is binding them together? And it allows them to see that the spirit of God is true and real and binds us. And that's why I'm so passionate about music. And I was telling everybody in the session yesterday, the music is something most humans can't really understand. I think I even said a little bit about this last night. Like, even if it's not pointed to the Lord, it was still designed to unite people, to glue people together. Music has is like a supernatural force that connects God's people, but also the world. And for instance, I went to a Coldplay concert 
right when I got into church ministry. And there were every culture, every race, every language. It was like, I mean, there were 60,000 people there. And I saw people of all different kinds coming together to hear this music. And it just puzzled me. I was like, this is really cool. This reminds me of kind of like what heaven will be like, except without God. I mean, there wasn't, the Lord wasn't being glorified in that service. However, a part of it was because we all, the, you know, the concert started and everyone starts singing some of these songs and suddenly everyone felt connected to one. Like, it was almost like we all could relate to each other. It bound us together. And I was brand new worship leader at the time and I was going, it just like a light bulb went off and it caused me to turn off the performer rock star that I had learned in Nashville and turn on this newfound ability to get people to sing together so that they hear each other. In Colossians 3, it says, we are to admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's not, hey, go to church and listen to this great music and uh, you'll be connected that way. No, we have to be partakers of it and engaged in it, which makes all the difference in the world because when we sing together, we're actually encouraging each other to remember the gospel, especially when artists and worship leaders are intentional with the songs we're singing, the theology in the songs. If we're encouraging each other with these truths, that's why I'm kind of like an old soul. I have always loved the old hymns. I'm a songwriter, so yeah, I'm writing new songs because I'm commanded to. It says, sing a new song to the Lord. Okay, why? Because he's doing new things. But I'm also loving the old, what God did through other writers and what he was doing in uh, back in history. So bringing it all together brings this unity, which then also fixes the problem of the disconnect from the older generation to the new generation. If we're able to honor the Lord with both, we're bringing collectively the old and the new together and using music to do it. And that's why I think, I believe that's why even over the past 15 years that 58% of Christians in America choose where they're going to attend church by the music. Because music, and I'm not saying it should be that way, but it is. The majority of people that decide where they're going to go to church is because there's something that the music does for them that a lot of times they can't explain. But what if we could actually help them understand why it is connecting them together? why it's turning something on in their hearts and because it's how God created it. It's why he designed music to bind us together and to bring us to a place of understanding the prayer that Jesus prayed was that they may be one as Christ and the Father are one. Sorry, I'm getting really preachy here. And I'm a tiny bit passionate about this if you haven't figured that out. But I would like in a, for a moment here, when it comes to this stuff, I'd love to know if you have any questions. Like, is there anything that's come to, to mind since I've been talking about this that's caused you to go, oh, I'd like to ask him this. Now, obviously, I'm not an expert. I have been doing this for close to 20 years, both in the performance side and the worship leading side and the songwriting side and the artistic visual side. But I would love to maybe start the conversation. So. Um, let me just open it up. Does anybody have any questions about that? And then I want to move into some more practical stuff after that, or maybe this will lead us there. So does anybody have any questions about some of this stuff? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
few questions. So I think the first one is um, uh, when you said the three things that you needed, and trust was the second one. What if you have a worship pastor that you trust wholeheartedly, but also need to stretch her? So like, I need different from her, but I also love everything she does. So I think it makes her feel entrusted. Right. Is there a way to both make her feel trusted and let her know that we need to stretch her? Absolutely. And there's, you have to be delicate with that because we're artists and we're creatives and we're kind of quirky and a lot of times that can, that kind of an admonishment or encouragement to grow and stretch because that's the thing if, if she's not teachable then there may be a discipleship um, deficiency because if you're discipled you understand that you're always growing and learning and that you have not arrived and so the soon, some of this may be more the discipleship side, which our ministry does, that's what we focus the most on, is them teaching them to be humble leaders um, and also teachable leaders. And so that may be something where before you start saying, hey, you need to grow in this, maybe getting her into some kind of discipleship where she can grow spiritually so that when, when you do ask her, um, hey, we want you to try some new things or try to stretch yourself in this area. But then sometimes, too, the reason why our ministry exists is we are a safe outside party that can tell them the hard things and they'll take it because they realize that these are all people that are in the same role as her. You know, we're serving now over a thousand worship leaders around the U.S., and even with the vocal thing, like we have, we had one pastor say, "Hey, our worship leader is discipled and rested, and we trust our worship leader." But man, he can't stay in tune. And they're like, "How can you help us?" Well, that's why we exist. We actually have the resources. But likewise, with a, we have an on-staff, state-of-the-art vocal coach who does Zoom vocal coaching, and so we've started actually doing that. And it was actually really organic because it was like, hey, what are some areas that you think you can grow in, is what they asked. Which is usually the best way to start, is, is you ask, hey, we're all growing, we're all learning, we all need to be teachable, but what are some areas that you think you need to grow? And sometimes just letting that person self-diagnose some of that. But the other thing I would encourage you to, is we have this brand new thing called the Worship Leader Health Check. And it's a, a six-minute little survey that actually might even expose some of that stuff. And you could even ask her, we're, we're creating this both for the worship leader, but also for the pastor who's over the worship leader and wants, wants to actually to know some of these facts. And so it actually diagnoses both all the physical, um, spiritual, and then the competency of this worship leader. So then it'll help identify if there's some trust or discipleship issues. But maybe you and I should talk after this and I can give you some other practical things too. But that's a very good question. And did you say you had another question? Yeah, is that okay? Yeah. Uh, I also love uh, the idea of not separating the young from the old in worship. And um, our biggest problem is that the old people um, are the ones who are frustrated. So even if we sing hymns for them, when we sing the modern songs, they're frustrated. So do you have any advice for how to um, like help your congregation move with you? Yes. 
this is actually something that I've done in a dozen churches now where they bring me in to help unify and bring everyone back together. Because, and it's, I can say this to you, but I'm way more delicate when I'm meeting with, with the church leaders or the people that are the ones complaining. But it's actually a sinful behavior and it's unbiblical. And so when they hear that, they go, wait, what? But it's actually true because if God desires that we are one, but now we've divided the church by their preferences, then we've just created consumerism in the church. Oh, well, you don't like this, so you're not going to go to it because you don't prefer it. But then now the younger generation is missing out on these older folks that have all kinds of wisdom for them. So a lot of the winning over is the older generation, and it's an immaturity issue. These older folks are set in their ways, and they'll, they'll proclaim that. They'll say, yeah, yeah, this is how we've always done it. This is how we like it. This is what speaks to me. And what we have to do is we have to turn that on itself and say, okay, well, that's actually a sinful response to your legacy. God wants you to pass on the wisdom that, that, that he's poured into you onto the next generation, but you've separated yourself from them because of what you prefer. If you have to have hymns on Sunday morning and they only do two in the service, but you want six, listen to the other four in your car on the way there. Because if you're saying it's not about you, which the gathering of the saints isn't about personal preference, it's about the unity of the body, right? So you, you have to come alongside them with a firm yet humble approach to teach them and cast vision for them so that they can see that their purpose on the gathering, on the gathering is actually missional. You have, you know, if it's someone that's older, you don't have a lot of time left. Helping them realize that you have an opportunity here to love on the next generation. So I want to empower you to sit next to these young kids, sing their songs with them. If you just have to just listen to them um, for a moment, or maybe even invite them out for lunch afterwards. It's your job to now pass on this heritage of the gospel. And maybe then they'll start appreciating what you love. But with worship leaders, I'm always engaging with them to be multi-generational when it comes to the way they pick songs. There are going to be those who just complain anyway, and they just need a firm, uh, a firm, uh, well, I'm not going to say like a spanking or anything, but they just need a firm word from the Lord and from the word of God that it doesn't say singing together hymns. It says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. A lot of these older folks, too, they prop the hymns up as a thus saith the Lord. But really, the hymn writers, they were the modern writers of the day. And so we can't esteem those higher than others. There are a lot of hymns, even in the hymnal, that should not be sung. There are a lot that should be because of the theology, but there are some that are actually not even biblical, that people worship. And so we've got to just get them off of the art and onto the mission because sometimes they're so focused on what speaks their heart language that they become just members of Costco. They go, well, I come here to get what I want. I, come, I get to have my membership. And, um, and then they'll wag their checkbook to make a decision. Well, if you don't do this, I'm going to stop giving, which shows you their heart and that sometimes they need a good... Um, light slam from the word of God. I know that sounds harsh, but I've been the guy, the disruptor that's been hired to go into churches and disrupt the disunity. 
um, by bringing them back together. And a lot of it is the drip system. You just start dripping in vision and casting vision and giving these older folks a mission. You're not here to have your little worship service and to hear your heart language. You can hear that in your car or you can do that on a Wednesday night at a hymn sing or whatever. But on Sunday, we gather together, which means we leave and check our preferences at the door. Scripture says we bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We don't bring our preferences into the house of the Lord. What are we going to lay down at the door? What, I mean, because, and that's why you got church hoppers. Well, I didn't get what I want here. Honey. What if we just go to the church that's in our community and help create that community by bringing our gifts? And yeah, there's going to be things we don't like. There's going to be things that, that we don't prefer, but it's not about what we prefer. So once again, I get really passionate about this stuff, you guys. But that's a great question. I hope that was helpful. We can talk more later. Yeah. Yay! Yeah. Okay. Uh, what else? Anything else about um, just about the philosophy of worship or or music or or, or artist health? Um, any areas in your lives that you're feeling maybe the check engine light went on? You want to talk about or? Because if not, I'll, I can move into some of the other practical stuff about using art. How many worship leaders are in here? Okay, one, two, three, and someone who's over worship leader, so you get it. And then what about... I'm on team, just not... Like you're on the worship team, so this is good. So this is showing you how you can appreciate the role of the worship leader. Well, and, and encourage my, my leader. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and they need a lot of encouragement because... As you know, musicians are needy people. We get kind of, we, we want that affirmation, we, but sometimes we need some, sometimes some truth and encouragement in there. Yes? I have a question about um, what kind of space you make for original songs in a congregation. Yeah. So that's a great question, which is the perfect segue into including artistic expression, because there has to be, there's this, there's this contrast and balance we have to create for performance in the church, but also because it's, it's all glorifying God, especially if it's not about the created, but it's about the creator. If that artist can deflect the glory and the attention quickly off of themselves and point it back to the Lord, then it's a game changer because then you see that people aren't going, wow, look how amazing he or she is. They're able to say, look how God moved. And then it then doesn't become as much about the person who shared it, but about what God did through that person. And so with me as a writer and being a worship leader for years and years, um, I'm always bringing new stuff. I think churches should be putting out original material. I think there's enough talent within the congregation where original music and art needs to be shared as a way to point people to the story of God, the gospel. Everything should be pointing us back to the gospel, whether it's the songs we write, the art we create, and putting God on display through the different gifts. But a lot of churches are very narrow-minded, and it's just the teaching and the word, and there's no other artistic expression because they get caught up in the liturgy. And so liturgy is very good. We've got to make sure that that stays intact. But 
but having more of a creative approach is really important. So to answer that, so you heard me at the very beginning, I started with this thing. There is no greater love than this. There is no greater love than this. Anyway, I, I wrote that one Sunday because I just wanted to set the tone and the mood. Because I had realized that so many people had forgotten the gospel that day. Because we all do, every day. We forget the gospel. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. I've got to do it to my kids. I've got to do it for my wife and myself. Because remembering God's grace is so important for every waking moment. Praying without ceasing, like we're commanded to, means that we're constantly communicating to each other and ourselves the gospel truth. And that's how we live it out. So... So when I, when, it talks, when I talk about service flow and setting a tone, sometimes I'll start the service just with something like that. And that's the call to worship. I don't need to do an announcement and say, welcome. Maybe I just sing over them something that causes them to go, do I believe that today? And maybe I don't even have to say a word. Maybe just those words. And that's why I love singing scripture. There are times in a service where I know where the pastor is going to be teaching. I'll open it up and I'll just sing a verse over everybody. On the spot, I'll make it up. Not because I'm trying to show off, but just because if I can start wetting the appetite, the hunger that people have for truth by just singing something over them. And sometimes if there's lighting in the church, I'll have them keep the lights off on stage. Don't have people looking. I don't want them to look at me. I just want them to listen to the word being sung over them. And so when it comes to original stuff, there's so many creative ways to do that. But I do think churches should be, especially worship leaders and musicians in the church, should be writing songs that are pertaining to that culture and that community and then teaching them and being okay if it's not you know, in line with all of the modern and uh, trendy songs, but being okay to go, hey, we're gonna sing a song that was written just for this. Like that couple did last night. They wrote a song that day and led us in it last night. That's the kind of stuff that we should be seeing in our churches, and so I've done a lot of that. And then there's times where it's like, oh, you sang this song, and can you remind me where it's from? Do we have that recorded? Well, sure, now we have recording opportunities in the church where we can record those original music and it's something special for the congregation. But the, the temptation is, is that when we create something, we start thinking way bigger than we need to. And we start going, especially as musicians, I want the whole world to hear this now. So we're going to put it on Spotify. And then we put this bar up here of what our expectation of all, then we're spending too much money on trying to get something to become something more than what it really needed to be when really God gave it to you for just your congregation. I mean, yeah, maybe it'll take off and do something, but that shouldn't be our concern. We should be satisfied with that song impacting one person. I have hundreds of songs I've written that nobody will ever hear. <laughs> I mean, as a songwriter, I'm writing all the time, and there's stuff that I'm like, oh, no one's ever going to hear this. I'm not going to share it. But then there's songs that... When someone shares with me what they're going through, I'll go, hey, can I share a song with you? And it blessed and impacted them. And I need to be satisfied with that. Even as an artist or a painter, if you're sharing 
your art with even if one person is blessed by it and God is glorified through it for what we should be okay with that and that's why our ministry is not just for the worship leader of a thousand people in their church but to 50 people we have so many worship leaders that lead worship for churches of 50 to 100 because it doesn't matter the numerical size of the congregation it just it just matters where the heart is and so and I mean, granted, I think America's heading eventually into a way, and Scripture confirms this, to where, you know, we may be all in churches of 50 or 20 in, in the next 10 to 20 years. Who knows? And I'm not trying to create fear, but that's just the reality. I mean, our brothers and sisters in China worship in basements. Nobody can know that they're singing down there, but they still do. And they don't care if there's a fog machine or moving lights or what songs they're going to sing. They just want to be together. They just want to be unified, and singing together does that. And that's why having original stuff and everybody using their artistic gifts who have them in the congregation, because obviously there's other gifts. There's teaching and hospitality and all that that gets to work together. But for the artist, bringing an artistic expression into our worship service is so important. So yeah, I would agree that having having original work is so important for a congregation, and that and I've been um, really God God's called us to do that in a, a number of churches that we've served in. But when it comes to other types of art in the church, is it should also be involved. And I've been an artist for a long time. I love to paint. I love to draw. I love to create sets and backdrops and all kinds of stuff. And so there were times even in our churches, we served in Prescott, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, and then in Orange County, California, where I was also helping with the artistic uh, visual expression without being a distraction. And sometimes it takes some winning over for that. I'm kind of anti-distraction. I can't stand when there's moving backgrounds on the screen while I'm trying to read the words and there's these lights. It's like... We need to have simplicity because people are already coming into the service distracted because we're like sheep that are prone to wander and, and go astray. So why should we create more things that distraction or that cause distraction? Why not create things that actually uh, prop up the gospel and enhance that worship experience, that time together? And so, for instance, from the second people pull into the parking lot, I want the, the, the story to begin. So I put a budget item together one year of putting just cheap speakers out facing the, the parking lot. The minute they got out of their car, they already started hearing whether it was instrumental music or whether it was some worship songs or at Christmas time we had Christmas music. It just started helping them detach from what's going on in their real world for a moment to engage with the body of Christ to come together to celebrate the gospel so that we can be equipped and then go out and do the good work. So from the minute they come, they get out of their cars, we would have that, that storytelling process begin. Then, as they're walking through the campus or coming up to the front door, we would have different artistic expressions that would allow them to feel connected to the Lord and even connected to the artist in some sense. You know, we turned our lobby, instead of a bunch of announcements and stuff that they need to know about what to get, we had that area, but we turned our lobby into an art gallery. 
where our, all of our artists in our church got to take turns displaying their art. Now, there was somebody that filtered that because, you know, if, if it's if it's stuff that's not telling that story. So there was, I'm just remembering one person who had some very abstract art that was not going to enhance the worship experience. So you have to have a moderator of that. But allowing people to use and put up their art that actually helps, um, whether it was landscapes or whether it was biblical stuff or whatever, being able to use the congregation's artistic expression as a part of the worship experience or the, the, the gathering on Sunday. I, I don't like calling it experience. That bothers me. It's more the gathering of the same. When they come together and gather, being able to express that. And then on stage, when they're sitting there looking up, there was one Sunday we cut down a tree that had been um, taken over by these beetles or whatever, and it was in our courtyard. People were sad because the tree was dying, and I said, well, why don't we cut it down and repurpose it? And at first, you know, I think I offended some people because they still had hope that it was going to live, but we had an arborist come and said, no, this thing's going to die. So we cut it down into seven pieces, and we brought it in and put it on stage and glued it all back together. And for 24 months, that tree came alive on stage. And every season that changed, we would bring new life to this tree. And it was a dead tree on our stage. But like on Easter Sunday, like Good Friday, it looked dead and we hit it with a red light. And we didn't have moving lights. We had all the old stuff. So it was just very plain. But we lit that tree up with just red kind of dead. It was like death. So on Good Friday, we talked about death. We had the reality of of what happened on Good Friday in our hearts. And then on Sunday morning, the church showed up and the tree had bloomed with Easter lilies. I mean, we had probably 2,000 white flowers covering the tree and it brought life to it. And this was an artistic expression that nobody had really thought, well, why can't we just repurpose something that was sacred out in our courtyard and bring life to it? So it was thinking outside the box and saving money, too. I mean, it didn't really cost us anything other than some time and a few Band-Aids. Um, but we put this thing up, and at Christmas time, we filled it with lights and put these cool lanterns on it. And we used it as a way to help people engage. We talked about Psalm 1 and the tree that's rooted by, uh, with streams of, by streams of water. And, and we, we just used it as a way to, to share the story of God, which trees do that in such a cool way anyway. And so, um, so finding creative ways to do that kind of stuff um, is really important in the church. How are you guys doing that in, in your church? And do you have any questions about how to bring more artistic expression into the congregation? Yes. That's kind of what my job is at our church, or one of my jobs there, is um, when our youth pastor became our senior pastor, and he wanted to start out with having visual things that would speak, you know, visually to what he was saying in his sermon series. So, like, the first one he started with, his series was called The Elephant in the Room. Yeah. And he wanted to talk about things that we don't usually want to talk about as Christians or in church or whatever. And so we actually made a life-size baby elephant out of paper mache, you know, it had a plywood center and and uh, two by fours for legs, but then you started covering it and all this stuff. And 
And we had a whole living room set up with an elephant right in the middle of it. That's and great. it was just so fun to watch people go in and go, <laughs> it was hilarious. So, you know, uh, my friends and I just really enjoyed being part of that. But uh, one of my struggles as we did that several times with different series was I felt like we weren't explaining to people what the symbolism was sometimes. Like we had this scarlet thread that went from the Old Testament to the New. So we had a cross up there and this red yarn kind of went through and, and all this symbolism in the background, but nobody really explained what it was. So in that series, I think people walked in and went, what is that, what is that mess up there? <laughs> you know, so how do we do that without, and, and I think I was holding back on asking for that to be explained because I thought, well, I don't want to draw attention to myself as, you know, the artist or the creator by asking for that, but I think we lost the enhancement of the message by not explaining it. Well, yeah, and I think you bring up a great point because sometimes when we take liberties to do things that are, that could become distraction, a simple explanation could change everything. Because then if someone wasn't even there that Sunday for it, maybe it's something that you either post on the website or the people next to them will share with them. But like even with that, you could have done a 30 second intro video, like a welcome video that helped show what that was. And so that even if that's a pre-service thing that plays up on the screen, hey, you notice this cool red thread running through the blah, 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 or whatever, and you, you're able to explain that. Sometimes art needs an explanation because sometimes people that don't get the abstract, you need to explain it to them. Like I went to the Louvre um, in Paris, and I had to have a few of these things explained to me. And I wanted to know, but some people don't want to know, they don't care. Um, but, they, but sometimes they need to know because if they're going to complain about it or if they think it's annoying or if it's ugly or whatever, having just a brief explanation is very important. And so finding ways and opportunities to do that. But the cool thing is you learn from that and now you go, okay, could this create any confusion for anyone? Um, and I've learned that with song selection as well. When I pick songs, there are some songs um, that I just don't do because I know they're gonna they're gonna ruffle feathers and it's not worth it. Yeah. Sometimes there's there's songs that have been mainline songs that are good and the intention of the writer was good, the theology's good and correct, but it's caused some disarray in the church. I don't even do those because I don't want that. There are too many amazing songs out there to to die on that hill or to go. No, I'm gonna do it anyway just to you know to be. To, create this conversation. It's not worth it. I only get a few minutes any, anyway, yeah. like 20 minutes on Sunday. And that's the thing is you valuing and being intentional with the amount of time that you have the people, which is very small. One hour or an hour and a half of their week every week. So what are we going to do that's intentional that's going to really promote the story of God the minute they walk into the room? with those designs. But yeah, I love it that you get to do that and that you have a team that puts that stuff together. It's important. Yeah, what else? Any other questions? It's it's like 11.30, so I wanna get you guys out. 
get out of here soon. I don't want you to be like, gosh, that was so long and boring and that guy just didn't stop talking. Any other questions? Anything else you want to know about me or yes? Uh, you had mentioned the trust between leadership and like worship leader. And I was wondering like what would you say like as like as a young female like worship leader and like everybody on staff could like be my parents, right? So like I feel like I'm like a kid a lot. Like how do I build that relationship more instead of being like the kid? <laughs> Yeah, I think the best way to gain trust, and um, this is hard, especially for um, your generation. Um, I, I was in your same boat when I started. I was going, gosh, you know, I'm, I feel like the little kid on staff. And sometimes I still feel like the little kid. I'm like, wait, I'm 40. But, but for you, I think being a sponge and, ask, and asking, hey, how can I improve? Or hey, I mean, really being intentional about wanting to grow and learn from people. And if you're unsure of somebody, if you feel like there's someone on staff that, that may not be in favor of your role, take them to lunch and say, hey, what do I need to improve on? What do I need to, can you give me some pointers? I wanna hear more of your story. Getting to know your team to show that you're trustworthy. And it's not that you're mooching or trying to, um, trying to prove something to them or please them because that's dangerous too because if you become a people pleaser then you become just the we call it the dependable doormat where you're so humble and so pastoral that everyone just walks all over you all the time constantly you're just the doormat that they're oh yeah we get, she, she won't harm a fly anything you tell her to do she'll do you'll become the yes person which you don't want to become that so you also have to have this humble confidence about you to where you're going to try new things and take risk and then say, yeah, we probably won't ever do that again. We tried it and it was cool, but we can tell it maybe wasn't the right thing. And as an artist, I'm a risk taker. I'm also a rebel, you know, especially when it comes to going against the, the grain, going against the current. I'm a rebel. I don't, I don't like this rock star church. And this, this whole mentality of let's perform or become the world to reach the world. Uh -uh. I don't see that anywhere in scripture. That's maybe in like second opinions or first hesitations. But those books don't exist. But I want to rage against the trendiness of what our American culture is trying to make its way into the church. And let the church become reverent, holy again. To where actually we can let this artistic expression be something that's unique and beautiful and sets us apart. And so for you to, I just think having a humble teachability is going to be really, really helpful, but also having confidence. Because there's scripture that talks about, don't let people look down on you for your youth. I mean, there's things that you have to offer to the older generation, to the boomers. I mean, a lot of these boomers and 40-year-olds or even um, the golden generation, whatever, though they, they naturally want to be critical towards millennials and Gen Xers and, and whatever the next generation. But, but having a, a, a boldness and confidence with humility is possible. I mean, Jesus was like that. I mean, he was, he was so humble, but he was confident and he was bold, especially with the Pharisees. And he never had to defend himself. So it was always just um, this humble confidence that I think set Jesus apart. And I think all of our next generation needs, needs to have that. But being teachable is really important. Because there's always stuff to learn. I'm 41 and I feel like I have just barely 
just scratch the surface of what it means to be a true Christ follower because I'm learning so much about what I don't know and what I want to know and how I want to grow. And so anyway, yeah, soak it in. That's really cool. What else? Anybody else want to know anything about our ministry or whatever? Well, hey, there's some books and stuff. Feel free to just snatch those. There's some lanyards and some pens. You can take those at the table. Uh, the book that we wrote during COVID breaks down a lot of what I covered today, but even more in detail. I think it'd be really special if any of you want to know the heart of the worship leader, you can take one of those books. Um, but yeah, if you want to know more about Likewise Worship, if you want to get your worship leader connected to Likewise Worship, uh, the whole preserving side of it is we want to keep worship leaders in the battle and on the front lines. Yes. Why did you name your ministry yeah, likewise, um, in essence, in biblical, in, in the Bible, it's a discipleship term. Because any time, there were times when Paul or Jesus or anybody would commission somebody to, 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 to go and do likewise. They would share some truth, they would share an observation, or they would give an empowering message and then say, go and do, now go and do likewise. And that's a lot of where our ministry comes from. We are, in essence, a discipleship ministry. We want leaders to be discipled. We do. We care about the trust. We care about the rest. But when they're discipled, they're spiritually healthy to a place where they can grow in all those other areas. And so and it, it all started when I was a 14-year-old. My grandfather discipled me. And many times as I was leaving his house, he would read to me, a quick little reference from what Jesus had to say about something. And he said, now, son, go and do likewise. And then he'd close the door and I would leave. My parents were going through a marriage struggle. I didn't feel safe in my home, so I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house. And my grandpa poured into my life. And as, my, as I went through challenges and struggles in ministry, I thought, you know, I want to provide for worship leaders what I didn't have and then tell them to now go and do likewise with those resources, if that makes sense. Does that, that make sense? I mean, it may be clunky, but it, it's working for us. <laughs> um, so yeah, anything else? Yes? Do you have a CD when you play the piano? Because that was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yes, I do. All my music's available online, Spotify, iTunes, okay. or Apple Music. If you go to my website, justinunger.com, all my music's free. You can just listen, you can stream it all from there. Um, and then obviously, um, all of the other outlets, YouTube, there's a bunch of stuff on there. I mean, there's a lot of music on there, so get ready. You might fall asleep listening to it. I do have some sleepy music. There's a lullaby record I, I, I did, because with having all these kids, we would want, we wanted to, fill their minds as they slept with God's word. So I wrote a bunch of songs with my grandfather that just was lot, mostly just scripture songs. And it's called To Know You Love Me. To Know You Love Me is actually the first song I ever wrote with my grandfather. And, um, and that whole record is more like a lullaby record, but it's actually for adults because it's just this one song feeds into the next, so the whole project doesn't end until the very last song. And so, but there's a bunch of other music on there. I've got a bluegrass record, a, an awesome Christmas project. It's like one of my favorite projects because it's so eclectic. 
Um, and then there's a worship project that I, I came out with a few years ago. But yeah, have your way with that. Thanks for asking. Anything else? Okay, here, can I pray for you? And then I'll send you off. Lunch is in like an hour. Is it 12.30 or 12? 12.15. Oh, 12.15. So you've got 45 minutes. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for my friends here and for the opportunity to share part of my story and experience with them. Lord, I just pray that you would go before them, protect them from our ruthless enemy who hates them, who hates their ministry, hates their gifts. Lord, he despises the fact that you gave gifts to us to use to point people to you. He wants to divide. You want to bring unity. And I pray that the enemy would be bound and that, that you would protect them from the enemy and that they would learn how to resist him so that that he would flee from them. I pray for protection over them, their families. And Lord, I pray that the rest of this weekend would just be enlightening for them and inspiring for them to draw close to you and then let the outflow and overflow of your presence in their lives um, cause them to do really cool artistic things. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, y'all, thanks again, and feel free to stop me later. I'll be here until Sunday afternoon if you want to ask any more questions, all right?